Next on News for the Soul, Eyes Wide Open with Janessa and SJ. We are multifaceted beings living in a multidimensional existence. We hold the power of perception, and this power alone paints our reality. Perception influences the things we see and the things we don't see. Together, we'll explore the mystical and the material, the metaphysical and the physical, the supernatural and the concrete, the seen and the unseen. Please welcome Janessa and SJ back to News for the Soul. Hello and welcome to Eyes Wide Open. I am your host for this evening, Janessa Finley Ford. I'm an empowerment coach who guides leaders, healers, and high achievers to turn their setbacks into success, obstacles into opportunities, and trials into triumphs as they master the art of being human. And I have with me today an amazing guest, Jenny. I am so grateful for her to join you guys and to share her wisdom and knowledge with you. Uh, So let me introduce her, Jenny C. Cohen believes in a world where everyone can dance to heal and feel safe in their bodies, knowing they are created in beauty and perfection in spite of life happening. As a breast cancer and complex PTSD survivor, Jenny created the Dance to Heal program and podcast. She shares her love of outside-in mastery for emotional fitness and to end eternal over-busyness. I can't wait to dive into this because you guys know that I have talked about inside-out healing for a hot minute, so let our two worlds collide. So Jenny loves to show how to reconnect your mind and body in new ways, and that's what we're going to jump into here today. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Janessa. Thank you for having me. I am so excited, everyone, to be here today. So are you going to sprinkle some humor into our world, or are we going to get into this conversation? Well, I, being a mom of fraternal twins to IVF, I have a plethora of funny stories. I just needed a heads up. Like, are we talking about PG stories or more adult-themed stories that will help me decide which direction to go in humor? All are welcome. Whichever you feel the most drawn to. We can get a little racy. We can keep kids, kids, kids stories are always cute and humorous too. So you do you. All right. So when my children were very young and just starting to be verbal, I never gave them pet names for human body parts. And I was one of those long-term breastfeeding moms. The ones that I actually made fun of myself in college, I ended up being the epitome of the mom that breastfed her kids. Mine were breastfed until they were four. Can you believe it? Twins? Anyways. So, one of the things that would happen occasionally would be I would go to dance classes. Even at that time, dance was so important to me, refinding who I was besides being a mom and a wife. And my husband would have the job of taking care of our twins. And my kids one day had to do this thing where they were saying, Daddy, do you know that every day we get bigger? Every day we're growing. Our hair gets longer. Our head gets bigger. 
our arms get longer, our feet get bigger, Daddy. Our vaginas get bigger every day. <laughs> my husband just went, oh, please don't ask me about my man parts. I cannot have a conversation with you. So, oh, that is classic. <laughs> yeah. I do love I the comfortability with the body, though. There's something about just being, like, we are all in a body, and so many people will preface, oh, this is probably TMI, and then talk to me about how their body, body is functioning, which is all information. It's so relevant and so important. And it's just one small way that we mute and ignore that the body that we're in and what it's trying to communicate to us. So I applaud you. Let's just call our body parts what they are. And, yes, they <laughs> all grow as we grow. <laughs> the lesson learned in that is I want – I had to start giving them the definitions of – language used in the house versus outside the house, which is a shame. And yet my children from an early age, because I present as Asian on the outward, and so they have learned to be able to figure out when a setting is safe or not to be using the home language versus the outside language. A lot of times our society, we don't talk about this. And my kids, mm-hmm. I, role model, I role model that for them from the very beginning because being an immigrant to this country, my parents didn't know those rules. So I had to figure them out myself at almost five years of age. It was a hard lesson to learn back then. Yeah. So were you five when your family came to the United States? Is that what age? Yes. I was five, yeah. not yet six. I was. Uh, I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts, where the cutoff date is September for kindergarten. So I ended up just being the youngest in my class. I, I, they skipped me from kindergarten and put me right into first grade. So when I first came to this country, I did not speak any English, and I was popped right into first grade. And um, one interesting story, most people would think they were benign, and through my self-healing, I discovered it actually impacted my safety mechanisms, even now into adulthood, there was a little girl in my class who spoke Mandarin, and she was my translator the first day. The second day, she refused to translate for me because all the classmates were making fun of her. She had been accepted in the setting until Mm -hmm. I showed up. And then she would not translate for me anymore, Janessa. And so for a little almost six-year-old, to then have a subsequent accident in class because I couldn't tell the teacher I had to use the restroom. You know, one of the, these little benign things, for some people, it's not that big a deal. For my psyche, at that moment, there was a lot of shame and guilt that I turned inward to myself because how can you blame adults, right? A child doesn't have that comprehension oftentimes. So for me, it was, it was a lesson learned. You have to blend in to be safe. That was one of the lessons I learned. And I think it's a shame, mm-hmm. right, because a lot of us, we're very unique when we're babies and young, young little preformed adults, right? We're very unique, and that really needs to be fostered. Yeah, and I know that there are so many kids out there learning similar lessons to you, 
and it breaks my heart because we're all made so unique and it's better to stand out yet there's so many really truly avenues or different places of programming that continuously send the message to blend in, to silence, quiet, calm yourself and not be all of the you that you're divinely created to be. And far too many people go well into their adulthood with that, trying to unlearn those lessons that they were taught as a kid. Absolutely, Janessa. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I am now 55 today and a half, I guess. We're in January. My birthday's in July. I never really grew a backbone until I became a mom. Literally, I just let people bully me, take over my life, make decisions for me. And then suddenly when I got pregnant with our twins through in vitro fertilization because they were so wanted, I so wanted to be a mom. We went. My husband had had testicular cancer, and we were lucky enough to have a doctor that had him store sperm, right? And then later on, we went through this process to see if I was viable to be pregnant. And ironically, I actually had a lot of problems with my plumbing that they I would never have known. So that that silver lining in my husband having cancer, right, was, wow, Jenny had a cyst on her ovary. She had severe endometriosis, and all of that ended up being clear so we could have our children. And um, This is such an incredible story because, you know, in your intro, we read that you've had cancer, but your husband also had cancer. So at separate times, at the same time, did they overlap? You're both survivors. Like, can we get into that a little bit deeper? Absolutely. Oh, I know. I, I literally should be on Oprah. Oprah, are you listening? I should come to your talk show to right. talk about how many things a person can have happen in their lives, right? So when I first met my husband and we got engaged, um, before we got married, he had an older brother who was 26 who passed away very suddenly from heart disease because he, his brother had survived being um being a drug addict. It was very hard on the family. He recovered. He had turned over a new leaf, and unfortunately, the damage done took him at 26. When my husband and I were engaged to be married, the year he was about to turn 26, which was like two years later, year and a half later, he found a lump. And we thought, oh, it's no big deal. But then when we called the doctor, the doctor said, come in here right now. And he didn't even examine my husband more than 10 seconds and said, this is most likely cancer. Here's my good friend, a Long Island Jewish. She's going to make this appointment. Do not delay. And it turned out he had this very fast-growing type of testicular cancer that they could not wait. He had to go through two major surgeries, 10 treatments of chemotherapy, like five in a row, and then five in a row. And it just this was all the month before my husband turned 26. And it was so, young. so scary for us. Yeah, we we were just like, what in the world? And my parents said, don't, okay, honey, because they found out when I told them. My parents were like, well, Chinese tradition is because, you know, his brother just died, right? So you should either um, get married or 
or like wait. And I'm like, we're going to get married, of course. We were already married at that point, right? And then throughout the cancer treatment, I still even remember because I worked at a very renowned rehabilitation center in New York City, has an occupational therapist. I remember my mentor saying to me, you know, she's just going to go through chemo and just sitting there. You can come back to work. And I was like, please give away my job if you find that important. I will be by my husband's side during this chemotherapy. <laughs> We're not going to. Because 20-something years ago, the anti-nausea medication wasn't fully as strong as it is now. Okay, so during that time with his cancer treatment, he had one surgery. They recommended before a second surgery to go to the sperm bank. Well, I have another funny story. Ready? I have to tell stories to the point. So, <laughs> sperm bank. And then I'll come back to your original answer, Jenna. So I'm sorry. It's really funny. Oh, yeah, it's funny now. Back in those days, we lived in Long Island audience, and I wasn't comfortable driving into the city. And my husband had just had that first surgery, so he really couldn't drive. So my mother-in-law elected to drive us to the sperm bank in the city. We get to this very nondescript office. We walk in, and the nurse says, okay, Mr. Cohen, come back with me. And he's looking at me, frightened out of his eyes. And I walk, I'm, I'll come with you, honey. And they put us into this darkly lit room. This is a sperm bank, Okay darkly lit room with like green awnings and there's an armchair with a big screen TV and all these porn magazines to collect the sample. He looked at me, I looked at him and I said, honey, this is one of the few times I give you full permission to fantasize about anybody you want to, your free reign, goodbye. And I ran out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> So he's in there being busy. I'm out in the waiting room with my mother-in-law. We're both staring at each other, fully aware that my poor husband, her son, is in the other room trying to give a sample. And then this older gentleman came in with a little boy. And my mother-in-law was like, oh, your grandchild is so cute. And the man was like, that's my son. I was like, oops. Uh, anyway, so back to the story. That's awkward. No, I, right. <laughs> that was so funny now. I, I was actually kind of amused. I'm also glad it wasn't me that asked the question, Janessa. Mm-hmm. So we did this burn pit experience. My husband went to his second surgery. It was a more intense one where they had to clean out the lymph nodes in the back near the kidneys. And then after that, a month later, he went through his, his um, chemotherapy. And then once he was fully recovered, we were able to do the workup for the IVF, and we had our baby. And so about 20 years later is when I got my breast cancer. And the ironic thing, though, that I really want to impress on anyone listening right now is I was only 44 when I found the lump in my breast. I was at my healthiest weight. I was vegan. I had been working out for six months. I looked good, felt strong. It was the accumulated stress of my son, who three years before was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I had, when a kid gets type 1, they can sometimes not wake up in time and they're asleep to get their blood sugar pumped up. 
So my husband and I, basically, I hadn't slept a full night's sleep in three years because I would stay up until two or three to manage his blood sugars. And then my husband, who always woke up at four, would get up and manage the early morning. Then the month before I found the lump, my husband had emergency bowel surgery, like bowel obstruction surgery from his cancer from 20 years before. And that's how I ended up so stressed out. My body could not deal with it and just went kaputs. And that's how I ended up with that breast cancer diagnosis. Have Had you had, if you don't mind me asking, and if you don't want to share, Ask. completely fine too. Go ahead. Had, had you had any, um, like, financial instability, insecurity, your husband losing his job or income at any point in time, whether through his cancer or earlier in your journey? The irony with my husband's cancer is that his boss at the time, because his job was half commissions and half salary, his boss did not pay him the commissions during the time he was out, even though he was due them, but he was paid a salary. Sure. Yeah. There's so, a... Yeah, I, I'm, go ahead. I was just going to share, in one holistic modality, there's a philosophy about breast cancers directly linked to lost trauma of financial stability. So that's why I was like, ooh, well, let me inquire. Let's test the theory. Yeah. I have a question. Does it matter which side of the breast cancer? I don't know enough about it to say yes or no, but from what I do know, the, my answer is no, um, but it's not a modality that I'm trained in. It's just, uh, it's German New Medicine, actually, and so I've picked up pieces yes. of wisdom from it along the way. But, yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think the audience should be very well aware of it, and you all need to look up German New Medicine. A lot of people think it's woo-woo. It's one of the few things that explained to me why I got breast cancer, besides the fact that I also don't have whey protein anymore, because if you read the book, The China Study, plus who works over mm-hmm. knives, those movies that talk about some of us genetically cannot process certain types of proteins. And, you know, they had done those experiments on rats where they fed them a certain amount of protein, and that would indicate increases in tumors, but they, if they brought the protein levels down, the tumors would either get smaller or go away. You know those studies, Janessa? I do, and I've read the China study, too. I find it fascinating that you mentioned that you are a vegan at the time. You got cancer in correlation to moderating your protein to support your healing. So fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. for me, just to prevent reoccurrence, I don't have any whey proteins. I'm completely dairy-free now. I do occasionally have um, meat. It's not often anymore. It's, it's, I've gotten to a particular level now where I pretty much eat the same things because in my human design, I just, I'm doing so many things. I don't want the energy of deciding what I want to eat. I know what I'm going to eat. I eat it, and life is perfect. So you get your... You're, well, also, just briefly, for those of you who aren't from, familiar with whey protein and what we're talking about, it's protein from, um, it's derived from cow's milk. So mm-hmm. if you want that little health tidbit, that's what we are discussing. So you have cancer. Mm-hmm. How, what led to your 
overcoming. Like, I am so, language is so important. We've had this conversation off air before. And so that survivor, I know that's often a word used. And I feel like survivor can really draw into that first chakra, like always feeling like you're in survival mode. So mm-hmm. I haven't found, do you have a word, do you have a phrase you use that you feel aligned with in regards to overcoming cancer? Oh, goodness. When I was first diagnosed and I started going to Memorial Sloan out on the East Coast, they told me, because I was going fully Western, there are other naturopathic ways of combating cancer. I did not choose that way because back then I had two small children who were in their teens, and I did not want to be an absentee mother. So I went for Western with the chemotherapy, the surgery, the radiation, and then additional year of um, of um, infusions that kind of like chemo, but not really chemo, but they still gowned out like it, the nurses gowned up like it was chemo. <laughs> One of the things that always helped me get through the day was actually just dancing. Because when you're going through any type of medical trauma or trauma, right, we rarely get the opportunity to run. We might get combative. I was in freeze and fawn, meaning I got super nice with the nurses. And then I just had to sit there while they pumped the poison in me because I knew it would eventually keep me alive, hopefully, (laughs) so I could see my kids grow up. And the only thing that helped me feel somehow empowered was moving every day to something, anything, you know. Um, There was a good friend of mine who started what she called the 100 Days of Improv. And audience, you're invited to do this too if you ever wanted to do. You pick five random songs from your playlist. And you rotate one song every day. And you come up with one prompt for all five songs every five days. So by the time you do that 20 times, it's 100 days. And what I was doing was videotaping myself doing that little bit of uh, dance. And some days, because I was so fatigued from the chemo, Janessa, I could just sit there and maybe move my arms, and that's what I videotaped. Then I would look at myself in the video and say what I loved about it, which is bizarre, right? I'm I'm literally disappearing because of chemo, and I'm still looking at myself every day on this video screen. And then one thing that I might do differently the next time I do the improv, and that's all I did, and that was one of the few things, because I think my voice, my, my throat chakra was just frozen from the stress of sitting in that chair. Even the radiation, I had about 35 treatments with this machine. Radiation itself never takes super long. It's the getting you into the perfect position. It's the driving to the place. It's the skin starting to burn from the radiation. You know, there were some other clients who they their skin was literally burnt. And they still had to continue that process that I would see in the waiting room with me, right? And all of that was very cumulative. Movement helped me feel empowered. And scientifically, they're showing research now that when you dance to music, 
it unites all the parts of your brain. They've shown that it lights up every part of your brain. Usually when we're in trauma, parts of our brain are turned off to get you to safety. When we're yep. safe, right? When we're safe, you want to turn on all parts of your brain. That's how you stay present. That is very true. So, and and super profound. Like the the easiest way to turn on your brain is to dance. Uh, so <laughs> just you, dance, everybody. <laughs> yeah, just dance. I. I really incorporated dancing into last year for me personally, with it being as challenging as it was. I swear I was going to dance every single day to this one specific song. It's by Trevor Hall. It's mm. called Green Mountain State. Very motivating and inspiring. But it didn't happen. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted to. I had good intention, but it certainly did make a difference on the days when I would put the music on and just allow myself to have that freedom, sort of similar to what you're communicating, although your situation is far, far different. So you chose the Western medicine treatment for cancer, and you were victorious in ridding it from your body. So then you've also had complex PTSD. Was that connected to the cancer or separate? Because I can only imagine the amount of different traumas and just life experiences that you had as an immigrant from such a young age and adjusting to a whole new culture and society and everything. Um, I feel like we would probably talk for many, many hours, but since we don't have many hours, let's move into how the, com- I would definitely want to touch on the complex PTSD because that's so relevant for people, especially if it came from or is connected, correlated to cancer, cancer treatment. Cancer is really, really challenging and very traumatic for even the loved ones who watch people go through it, let alone being the one that's going through the treatment. So fill us in on the complex PTSD, and then I really want to get into how the dancing and movement for every day that you're going through treatment has blossomed and turned into this entire healing program and your purpose. Yeah, yeah. So I want to preface this first by making it clear that my program was not born until I had to stay present to keep my daughter alive. A lot of us are not motivated just to save ourselves. <laughs> we are. We have this unspoken, I'm going to be really blunt, folks, we have this unspoken belief that we're not worth it until someone we really dearly love needs us, and all of a sudden, for me, it was this little slap in the face to get present soon and quick. When I was done with my breast cancer treatment, I threw myself back into dancing. I was competing, performing, teaching everywhere, and I missed all the signs of my child going into distress. When when they finally told me they were self-harming, trigger warning, please, just so you're aware, audience, they were self-harming with cutting and making some plans not to be around anymore in this lifetime with us. I went into clinical mode because I was an occupational therapist. Got them home. We were away on a trip to visit their homeschooling friends. 
I got them home, set up this child with therapy, locked up all the objects in the house, and then went right back to my damn thing thinking, oh, they're fine. Two weeks later, I had missed brand new fish fillet knife. I was so not present, I missed this knife. And my child waited until I left for a local dance event, waited until their twin and dad were napping, and locked themselves up into the bathroom. And when I got home and I'm bawling as I'm butterflying together their arm, and they're looking at me, folks, with eyes of a stranger. They were not there anymore. That was my rude awakening, that if I did not get present now, my child was not going to be around much longer. I had worked in psychiatric, lockdown, pediatric units as an occupational therapist. So I knew my child, that type of setting was not for them. And that was the beginning of the Dance to Heal program because how do you stay present when when you're present you feel all your feelings from your childhood? I've been running away for all those years. Why would I want to stay and relive those? I had no tools, so I had to actively seek them out. The book, The Body Keeps Score, everyone is very aware of that book. My body was doing so much trauma from childhood. So in saving this child who had to go to therapy, I had to be very, very present. I had to know when my child was starting to spiral. All of that was born from literally every day just tuning into my five senses, adding in breath work, and then trying to do that while I was walking around the house. That kept me present. If you do that a few times a day, audience, that will keep you present. It becomes a secondary muscle that clicks in. Even now, as I'm speaking to you, Janessa, I'm aware energetically of how my kid is. Now, both my children are thriving college students, teens with straight A's. You looking at them now, you would never know. They have really bad days behind the scenes, yeah? But at least I'm connected, and they know when to seek assistance. And that's really what I want to share with everybody. And healing my children, because my other child also has distresses that we don't have enough time for me to go into it. <laughs> this interview. I'll have to come back to it. I'm inviting myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were things that we started to discover besides somatic movement, meaning connecting mind and body, and breath work. You're aware of this because you do it also, this modality with your clients, Janessa. I started doing evolved neurolinguistic programming, and I started realizing, whoa, I'm tracking myself in beliefs that were set up in my childhood when I was still in Taiwan, when I was four and shuttled off, shuttled off to my grandparents in the country, and I was left to take care of my two-year-old brother when I was four years old in the country when my grandparents would go to farm. Could you imagine a four-year-old taking care of a two-year-old all day long? <laughs> right? Those were some of the belief systems I carried forward all my life. So since then, I've rewritten scripts, and that's what part of the Dance to Heal program is. First, you dance because you want to connect mind to body. Then you master your communication with your subconscious. We have so many tools, certain clients, because we're all unique, right? We talked about that at the beginning of the interview. You all will resonate to different things. Some of my clients like dominant, non-dominant writing for journaling. 
It's a natural thing. Some of my clients like to do soul cards. These are all ways to have conversations with your subconscious. Our subconscious just wants to keep us safe. Anything new is scary, folks. So I may say to you, oh, yeah, I want to be very confident on stage today. And my subconscious goes, oh, no, 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 there's no safety in being seen. What happens, folks? I will always manifest reasons not to get on the stage. And in learning that rewiring, that's been what's been helping. And a lot of my clients, I've, I had a client who recently started, she was kind of secretly doing artwork. And then since working with me, she now enters art competitions, opened up like an art page. It's wonderful to see her expressing herself in that way. Yeah. There's so much from tuning in to yourself and extracting, extrapolating so much wisdom. But you had made a comment to me in one of our past conversations that I believe you're talking about research, but there's quicker progress or maybe it was your your outcomes. Either way, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that there's quicker progress made with the dancers and movement with the various different modalities that you utilize with people. And so I'd love for you to talk more about the connection of the movement of the body and what that does for the brain, the nervous system, all of that. So I, um, I, I think our listeners know a little bit, but very active, very athletic, always moving. And so for me, my approach had to be the inside-out healing because I was very aware of my body, but I had no idea, like, the aches and the pains and the things that I could quickly tell you was going on in my body, very in tune to what emotion or underlying connection that had. And so I had to go more internal and start to understand my internal landscape and the thoughts that I was thinking that were just on automated (laughs) autopilot. Um, because I, I had the movement part down. And so I think it's so interesting how we're all called to what really moves us and speaks to us. And that's what lit me up of having you on because it is, you could say, an opposite approach. It's just coming at it from a different angle. And I very much believe in the there's just different ways up the mountain. We're all getting to the same destination. So share with us the wisdom around the movement and what that does for our nervous system and our our brains, our minds, and our healing. Oh, that would be my pleasure, too. Thank you for that question, Janessa. So oftentimes we want to come from this. I want to make sure we're all coming from the same positioning and understanding that the conscious part of us, like the Jenny and the Janessa and the audience part, that 10% of us is conscious and listening or speaking at this particular interview. Behind us is another 90% of us judging and predetermining if this is a trustworthy advice or not trustworthy advice, et cetera, et cetera, right? A lot of people in in my communities also refer to the subconscious as almost your intuition, your gut feeling, the the part of you that will tell you, oh, something's perfect, or this isn't right, something's off. When someone first meets me, 
my and they've never moved with me. We've never exchanged any type of anything. I found it's actually a little bit harder for me to feel like the subconscious is on board with working with me. And I have found that my clients who are not movers generally, if we do it from a movement approach, it's almost like a litmus test. When they feel that they can trust me consciously and unconsciously, when we do the NLP work, it actually goes faster. I have private clients who know me from the dance genre. So we've literally done dancing together. So subconsciously, they already intuitively knew that I am genuinely in their corner. There's no um, nefarious thing that I'm trying to do with them. So when I worked with them, I went straight to the neurolinguistic programming, and they made breakthroughs even quicker. Does that make sense, Janessa? When we're not aware of your nervous system, which is separated in two separate systems, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, most of the time we learn and can shift better when our parasympathetic system is in charge. If we're in the sympathetic, we're just thinking about I'm in danger. How do I get out of this? How do I keep myself safe? There's no time for a growth. Your body will go into an automatic response. It's similar to the, there's a, a coaching portion of my clients that goes through, it's called the PQ mental fitness training. It's like a muscle that you learn to activate to keep you in that parasympathetic system. And I love it because it correlates to all the things that I tell people about tuning into your five senses. It grabs your attention and keeps you in the here and now. In the past, if I was trying to be in an interview, you know, even before the program was around, I would be worried about, oh, what's Carmen going to think about what I say versus being in the moment and being genuinely in tune to what is Janessa asking me? And I intuitively am feeling the energy from the audience and going, I'm going to say this. I'm not pre-planning or worried about the effects of my words. Oftentimes, I feel in this very social media conscious world, we're very worried about how we're going to be seen. I ask if you're truly in yourself, then we're very willing to be perceived. Yeah, when we're comfortable with ourselves, then outside of ourselves is a lot less impactful. Also along the topic of the movement, especially from Enneagram, personality structure. I talk about the Enneagram personality a lot. I do that work with my clients a lot. It's such a treasure trove of amazing information. And the Enneagram even draws out the doers, the ones who more naturally move. And it teaches us to be able to transform emotions. There is a doing, a movement that's required. And we can't think and reframe our emotions to process them. And so your your clients through movement are sneakily, ninja fashion, 
working with the emotions that are stored within as they go through the old stories and old experiences and the things that are brought up within their healing journey by moving. And I also love this conversation around the nervous system because by movement, we're not talking about there's so much focus around movement of calories, endorphins, Mm -hmm. like this Mm -hmm. physical, you know, so that you look good in the mirror and you love yourself and that stuff is important. But coming from someone who pushed their body beyond what their nervous system could handle for years of her life, not realizing that was what was happening, blowing Mm -hmm. out my, you know, my adrenals. So I I would have a stress response to the movement that I was requiring my body to do. There's everything, you know, everything in balance. There's a sweet spot with our movement also where we're not talking guys to go pound it out in the gym and make yourself miserable and force yourself to do something that you don't enjoy. We're talking about the movement that our bodies were naturally created to be in motion and to engage in some motion and movement that allows you to process your emotions, to process life, to clear your mind, to get that little endorphin bump, and then also to set you up for some bigger breakthroughs when you choose to work with Jen. Yes. Yes, and I want to let you in on a little secret. So I used to hate my scale. I hated that thing so much because when I was getting better from my cancer and I would go and see the doctors, one of them, who shall remain nameless, can you tell I still hold the grudge, (laughs) would say to me, well, you know, one of the risk factors of your cancer reoccurrence is weight gain. Do you even think about losing some weight? And I was like, Excuse me, I was in my best condition before you got your hands on me. Now I'm in menopause, taking tamoxifen, not even recognizing my body anymore. And you're telling me that this will cause cancer? Then why did I get cancer in the first place, right? So uh, I had a very interesting experience earlier this year. I went to a retreat where it ended up being a very unsafe environment for me very unsafe. And every level of what you think is unsafe was unsafe. And I came home and I stepped on the scale and I had gained almost 10 pounds from being away for five days. Now, you could joke, well, what the heck were you eating, Jenny? I didn't eat a lot. I was so stressed out. Three days later, later, after doing a lot of my somatic movement, journaling, going to my energy worker, my weight dropped down immediately. And I went, wait a minute, what is going on? Was my body telling me I was in danger? And I went, oh, my gosh, my body's telling me I was not safe. That's when I discontinued working with that mentor. We talk about, a lot of people talk about muscle testing. I'm asking everyone, you should be muscle testing all the time. Even anything that Janessa and I are saying, if it suits you, audience, because, again, we're so uniquely different in our needs, we were on this life on this earth, gifted this amazing gift of this body, whose sole purpose is to do anything we wanted to do, right? Marathon workers, uh, marathon runners, elite athletes, 
they put their bodies to ridiculous things like you did, Janessa. The body goes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, I'm going to do whatever you want. I'm going to do it. Even though it's slowly breaking down, and I'm just asking to open the channel in the other direction. When we do movement, it's literally asking my clients, are you listening to your body? Does it feel good for your body? What does your body want to do to the music? Not your mind, because, you know, minds are going to want to do something cool because, you know, I'm performing. We're going, no, no. What does your body want to do to that movement? Some of my clients don't like traditional music. They literally would prefer moving to sounds of waves. That's, that's music to them. Whatever you recognize as music, and then you move to it, will light up every part of your brain to get you present so you can start listening to your intuition. That's really important. That is the most important thing because once you are bombarded by the world, everybody wants to help you, you need to figure out what's going to help you. What, are you. what do you need? And that's what we build. When my clients work with me, it's never, oh, Jenny's going to tell you what you need. It's, hey, can we start up that conversation between you and your body? And then my job is to drop into your perspective and help you figure out what do you need to get to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And I love that you referenced muscle testing because I, too, am a huge muscle tester. Because all the information is within us, and it's really cracking us open to be able to access that information. And having someone walk with us in our blind spots, I think, is so incredibly important. We all have blind spots, but that doesn't mean that we have to be dependent upon other people to tap into the intelligence that is within us. So I also am really really fascinated by another tidbit you shared with me, which was about the brain not knowing when you're moving. And then the impact of visualization is the brain believes what is happening in our visualizations is happening in the now. And so chat with us about the impact of the dance. Obviously, it's bringing us to be very present in the now, it's lighting up all of the brain. Brain doesn't know that you're moving. Like, isn't there a disconnection there? <laughs> First of all, let's all acknowledge we actually know very little about the brain still. Science still has not fully even hit the top of the iceberg in understanding the brain. Mm-hmm. However, I would love to share a technique that we used in visualization and using the power of the brain. My children used to do rhythmic gymnastics. So that is an Olympic sport where you're doing all these acrobatics underneath these apparatuses like a ball or a hoop or these, they look like elongated bowling pins or a ridiculous ribbon, right? And you're doing all these things and you're doing aspects underneath it. And you would think when you see people doing it, are they doing it those 10,000 hours to get that level of expertise? I discovered there was a way for them to shortcut their training 
and that they would visualize. They would each have five routines. Every routine they would visualize doing every moment, every trick, every stretch, every hold in their minds like they were physically doing it to cement in a perfect, I'm doing quotation in the air, folks, perfect routine. And we found that that exponentially increased their performance on the competition floor. There is a neuroscience to the mind accepting visualization as if you are physically doing it. So if you don't have time to physically dance, or some people are like near people and they're stressed out, in your mind, think about dancing. Move your head a little bit, shift your shoulders up and down, and it will fool your brain to thinking you've done the actual dancing. And that's a shortcut that I would suggest to do. A thousand percent. I could just feel the calmness, like, wash over my body as you're saying, think about it, and just taking myself there in my mind for a split second, there's a physiological response. The power of the mind is so profound. And the one thing that popped into my mind about the, the brain not being able to tell the movement is when you're sitting in your car, has this ever happened to anyone else out there? It happens to me sometimes. So sitting in your car, your, your foot is firmly on the brake, you think, but you feel like you're moving because the vehicle next to you is actually moving and it gives you this illusion and your brain is tricked into believing that you're moving you're like, oh, my gosh, there's someone in front of me. Well, I got to – and, like, you push harder on the brake. You even respond, and you're like, oh, wait, no, nothing's happening. We're fine. <laughs> right? Like, our brains actually can't always perceive the movement. But that sounds like a dis – you know, like I said, like, oh, isn't there a disconnect here? There's just things that our brain doesn't perceive accurately, just like it always goes to lack and gap and what we're missing. And then we have to find the physical evidence to show our brain what is our truth because it will like to lie to us frequently. So speaking of things that we don't necessarily perceive until we perceive them, I would love to hear what is one of the most impactful things in your life that once you saw it, you could not unsee it. Okay, I love to foster kittens. You know your kitten's going to survive when it does its first golden poosh. <laughs> Sorry, that's, <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about? Because oftentimes these neonatal kittens are so fragile and we're feeding them formula, hoping to be able to imitate the mother's milk. And you have to make sure the plumbing works. Oh, you said poop. I just didn't hear what you said. So you're saying yeah. when they poop, you know they're going to survive. Got it. Well, it's a certain type of poop, y'all. Like, I'm so sorry to oh, not okay. be all professional. This is my life. If you work with me, you'll know I'm very irreverent. Um, the It's the it's a certain color of the poop coming out that tells me, oh, my God, the baby's going to make it. I love that. That's such a great yeah. act to have. 
so one thing everybody too, so yeah right i have 12 cats and two dogs and i foster kittens galore oftentimes when you're trying to make a change in your life you may need to set up something that's not a golden poo but something that lets you know you're shifting because we're all like the Titanic ship folks. We're going in one direction, and you want to ship. It's got to be by degrees. It's not going to be abrupt 90 degrees. This direction is a little one-degree shift, another-degree shift. Find what's going to let you know. Your muscle test can ask yourself, will this blank thing serve as an indication? I'm going in the direction. You know, certain people go, oh, I like to see butterflies. That tells me I'm going the right direction, and they'll always see that butterfly. You know, some some people, like, I always find parking. They have just super special. I always find right parking. It's always right in front of the building for me, always. Right? Or I want to – well, this gets into too much, like, metadata – I'm thinking of buying this, and all of a sudden the ad pops up. You haven't said it out loud, so I didn't hear you on your phone. You were just thinking it, and all of a sudden the ad pops up. Then it's in relation to something you want to use to shift. Pay attention to your own intuition. It is really literally screaming at you. You just need to listen to it. Absolutely. It whispers, I say, or I believe. So sometimes it can be easy to get drowned out, but it's always on point, and I talk about that a lot. Oh, there's past episodes about it. So as we move to the top of the hour here, and we need to wrap up this conversation, has been lovely, and I've so enjoyed chatting about the outside-in movement, dance, healing. Where can people find you and get into your world, and what programs do you have to offer? How, how are you working with clients these days? So you have a multitude of ways to check me out, folks. The quickest one is to go to dance and heal, H-E-A-L dot com, and you get a gift of an hour where half of it is a cardio dance with somatic cues, and half an hour is myofascial really stretching. Then you will be a part of my mailing list, and I let you know about my app that's launching soon and my group that's launching soon. If you just want to do some movement with me live, you can go to my IG account under Jenny C. Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Every Wednesday, I will be doing somatic stretching for free live on my IG. And if you really just want to get in touch with me, email me at Jenny at JennyCCohen.com and tell me that you were here, and I would love to speak with you. She would. Jenny is a gem, and... I love seeing your dancing clips float into my world because, again, like the thoughts, just watching you can really bring some calm, even if I'm not disciplined enough to just stop what I'm doing and bust a few moves on my own. So thank you so much for joining us and being here next week. Oh, my goodness, what are we doing? It's the first Wednesday of the month, so I will be back with you all myself. SJ will be joining us again in two weeks. And until then, friends, keep your eyes wide open.
the soul begins its 27th year in January 2024. Find out our latest news at newsforthesoul.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.